I'm happy to post this on November 1st, or 2nd, depending on where you are. Because as some of you know, that date is a very important one. Or could have been. It's very important in this new project, and I'll explain all of that in a moment. This is a somewhat short update. There's more to be found at my new YouTube channel, but I will save the begging for you to visit the videos for the end. We're in the midst of the 60th anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's commonly called the 13 Days, lasting from the discovery of the missiles to the agreement to withdraw them. The 16th through the 28th of October 1962. But there were many more paths to a war between the United States and the Soviet Union than there were paths to peace. Kennedy said candidly that the odds of war, that is, the Soviets going to fully intercontinental war over the whole Cuban debacle, were somewhere between one in three and even a flip of a coin. Given those odds, how is it that the United States the Soviet Union and their top leaderships proceeded to engage in escalation. And recall that there is very much more escalation than de-escalation, and much more danger than was even known in John Kennedy's lifetime. Indeed, not even in Robert Kennedy's lifetime, and not until the 1990s. There were functional and quite capable nuclear weapons on that island that could have fallen to several far more uncertain fates than Khrushchev's imagined, wished-for, and ultimately unrealized plan. So what would the assessment of those odds have been had all of the facts been known? Much worse, so it turns out. Robert Kennedy wrote a very few years later, What if any circumstance or justification gives this government or any government the right to bring its people and possibly all people under the shadow of nuclear destruction? That was in his memoir of the crisis, 13 Days. Unfortunately, he never gave a sufficient answer to that question, not even in the memoir from which the quote comes. In Newstad and Allison's afterword to that book, they suggest that many believe the Cuban Missile Crisis was proof that nuclear war could never happen, that rational actors or rational state institutions could never choose war. But in President Dwight Eisenhower's public words, quote, war is impossible. There is no alternative to peace. But this doesn't follow most reasoning. Rational actors and rational states have frequently stumbled into war. When you choose to engage, even through simple posturing, there are known unknowns and, much more dangerously, unknown unknowns, as Donald Rumsfeld once said about a very different kind of conflict. In fact, there were very many unknowns, and the more we discover about the crisis, 
Those 13 days stretch into November and beyond. Our next stop on that calendar brings us to today. It's a theory and a timeline proposed in the afterword to 13 days. It shows one of the many paths to miscalculation and war, and we begin briefly with what actually did happen. Despite the importance of counterfactuals in my series on the Cuban Missile Crisis, I'll let you know when things diverge from objective historical reality. One, the Soviets put missiles in Cuba. The United States fails to discover them immediately. This is outside of the actual thermonuclear devices, which also arrived and were never discovered. This is the beginning of September. Two, October 16th, the official crisis begins. A U-2 overflight discovers the missile sites. Just pointing out again, the missiles are the delivery system. The warheads were in Marielle, still on a ship, because Khrushchev didn't fully trust his comrade Fidel. 3. On October 22nd, Kennedy says that any launch of a missile from Cuba would be considered a Soviet missile and there would necessarily be a full response, with all that entailed in 1962. 4. Khrushchev puts Soviet strategic forces on full alert and threatens to sink U.S. ships if they interfere with any Soviet ships on their way to Cuba. This is on October 24th. The next day, the 25th, Inbound Soviet ships stop short of the blockade, creatively called a quarantine. 6. There is confusion over two very different letters from the Soviet Union. In the first, Khrushchev promises to remove the missiles in Cuba if the United States promises not to invade the island. In the second, now on the 27th of October, there is the added demand that the U.S. remove the Jupiter missiles from Turkey. 7. The same day, Kennedy decides to respond positively to the first letter and just ignore the second, which couldn't have been agreed to publicly for political reasons in any case. But there is a stipulation that the missiles in Cuba have to be removed by Sunday, the 28th, or there will be an airstrike against the sites on Monday or Tuesday. 8. Khrushchev announces the withdrawal of the missiles on October 28th. Here, we diverge from what really happened to what might have happened. These initial steps were dangerous, escalating and coming to an uncontrollable point. I'll ask this. What if Step 8 didn't go the way it did? What if, for whatever reason, and there could have been many, Khrushchev said no? What if he said again what he had said before, 
that an attack on Cuba and the missile sites, which were full of Soviet technicians, would be met with a full retaliatory response, and that an attack on Cuba was an attack on the Soviet Union. Let us move into counterfactuals. October 30th, the U.S. goes through with the airstrike, destroys the missiles, and kills many Soviet technicians. 10. October 31st, Soviet medium-range ballistic missiles are launched against the Jupiter missiles in Turkey. 11. Article 5 of the NATO Convention is invoked. This says that if a NATO ally is the victim of an armed attack, each and every other member of the Alliance will consider this act of violence as an armed attack against all members and will take the actions it deems necessary to assist the ally attacked. Nuclear missiles in Western Europe attack the Soviet bases that launched on Turkey. This is a rapid, though balanced, escalation and it becomes the worst Halloween on record. 12. Either the Soviet Union fears additional U.S. ICBM strikes or the U.S. fears Soviet ICBM strikes. Either is possible, and there's no reason to pick a side. With political decapitation at risk and a use-it-or-lose-it mentality, one or the other launches the first salvo sometime on the night of October 31st or the early morning of November 1st. 13. November 1. The exchange ends. At least for the moment. This is only one scenario posited in the early years after the crisis and remained the most discussed, if not the most likely, until the 1990s when new facts were revealed about nuclear weapons actually being present in Cuba and the high drama that took place under the waves at the quarantine line with a nuclear-armed Soviet submarine. But it is this series of events and this path toward one of the many dead ends that gives us a starting point for the Cold War Vaults series on the Cuban Missile Crisis. This was originally released a couple of years ago on The Vault as a five-part podcast series on the Cuban Missile Crisis. But I am adding new material, correcting some facts that I now see as possible errors, and putting it into the visual medium. It's a new YouTube-based documentary series, and you'll see photographs, documents, film footage, and more. I will be putting out new episodes through November. And remember, despite those fabled 13 days of the crisis in October, the quarantine wasn't lifted until the 20th of November, and the nuclear warheads that the U.S. didn't even know about weren't returned to the Soviet Union until December. It's all in the larger context of the 60th anniversary of the crisis, and it will all be in the new series. 
As I continue to research and produce totally new shows, I really hope that you'll come to the YouTube channel and see what I'm building there, and what I've been doing for the last couple of months. There will be new episodes released regularly, two of them are already posted, and something else I can offer on YouTube that I can't in a podcast medium are refurbished historical films that relate to the material. Using an artificial intelligence engine that the Vault has acquired with the generous help of patrons at patreon.com slash coldwarvault. The first of those films will be posted as soon as the AI tells me I'm allowed to. So, please subscribe to get notified. It's youtube.com slash at the Cold War Vault using the new YouTube naming scheme that uses the at symbol. Or just search Cold War Vault on YouTube or Google. It will really, really help me to keep growing and putting out content on new topics. I look forward to that, and I hope you do too. Until next time. <laughs>